All right, let's just jump right in. Hello, and welcome to the Homestake Podcast. Nope. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Hamstake Podcast, a podcast where we read Homestuck and tell you about it. My name's Alex, and I have never read Homestuck before. My name's Lydia, and I super have. Uh, Lydia, what are we reading this week? Well, that's a great question, Alex. Thanks for answering. Thanks for asking. Uh, today we are reading page 3574. Uh, How about you tell the people at home about this page, Alex? Thanks, Lydia. I will. Um, This page is the recap of the first year of Homestuck, Um, and we weren't going to read it because it's very long, but Lydia, it turns out that you are not actually here this week, and you are graduating. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct, Alex. Thanks for for, uh, telling the people at home. No problem, Lydia. Um, So uh, you, Alex, are going to be reading this uh, it's a recap of the first year of Homestuck, is that correct? It is. It is correct. Um, I'm going to be doing that. I kind of, I joked about it last time, uh, and then I kind of tricked myself into wanting to do it. Um, and I haven't read this before, this is going to be a cold read, um, but this is actually a great, I think, this is a great opportunity, I, Alex, think this is a great opportunity for people who have been listening to us and haven't been reading along to kind of get back up to speed. Um... I guess our previous recap was also a good time to do that, but we've we've gone pretty far since then. So I'm just gonna jump into this. Are you okay with that, Lydia? I am okay with that. And to clarify, I am not here. I am being played today. Um, the part of Lydia is being played by Alex. Um, and thanks for uh, thanks for uh, for sticking with me through this this goof. Um, Lydia is actually graduating this weekend, and I am very proud of her. Uh, and so this is just kind of a bonus episode. So that you guys don't have to wait a whole other week for more quality hamsteak content. Um, <laughs> so let's just start this. Homestuck began on April 13th, 2009. 13th birthday of our chief protagonist and future boy Skylark, John Egbert. Three days prior, he was supposed to be... Three days prior was supposed to be the day he received... Oh, okay, I'm just gonna have to do this in one take, because I don't have time to edit all this. I also have no idea how long this is gonna take. It's a lot of text. Possibly more than I've ever read out loud before in my life. Um, so let's just get into it. Homestuck began on April 13th, 2009, the 13th birthday of our chief protagonist, John Egbert. Three days prior was supposed to be the day he received the spur beta in the mail, but it was running late. It showed up later that afternoon, and after overcoming a variety of domestic adversities, he retrieved the game along with a birthday package from his internet friend, Dave Strider. John soon established a game connection with another friend, Rose Lalonde, who'd spent the day badgering him about playing with her after unsuccessfully attempting to convince Dave to play. Upon connecting, Rose was able to manipulate John's environment, move his furniture around, via cursor, and restructure the shape of his room. John was unable to do this to Rose's environment, however. He'd installed the client copy of the beta and acquired the server copy to do that. The server copy was trapped in his dad's car, along with a birthday package from another friend, Jade Harley. 
Jade messaged John inquiring about the package, as at this moment neither her package nor the server copy had been recovered by John. Rose had also prepared a package for John, but had not mailed it yet. It still sits in her room. Dave's package contained the authentic stuffed bunny from Con Air. In addition to allowing Rose to control John's environment, Suburb provided an array of devices Rose deployed throughout John's house. These devices used together provided a system by which the players could manufacture any item using the code on the back of the item's capture log card, if they gathered enough grist to pay for it. Later they would learn to combine item codes to master the art of punch card alchemy, whereby items could be fused together in purpose and design. One device on being activated began a countdown, and released an entity called a Colonel Sprite. The countdown ticked down to the moment John's house would be struck by a meteor, destroying his neighborhood. To escape his demise, John had to use the devices to manufacture a special item that looked like a blue apple, and take a bite of it in order to transport his entire house, just before impact, to the safety of a mysterious dark realm, where his house would situate itself atop a tall rock column high above the banquet of clouds. This realm was called the Medium. Before he entered the medium, though, John and Rose prototyped his Colonel Sprite with the large Harlequin doll his dad got him for his birthday, transforming the Sprite to bear its likeness, including the ways the doll was disfigured via earlier hijinks. It had a slashed eye and one arm, and so too did the Sprite. When John entered the medium, the Sprite's Colonel hatched, thus imbuing the, all the enemies John and his friends would face with properties of the Sprite. The lesser adverse. The lesser adversaries John faced first, shale imps, all wore harlequin garbs. They became more powerful and more radically mutated with each successive pre-medium prototyping. After entering the medium, John's dad was kidnapped by imps. While John was looking for him, he accidentally prototyped the sprite with his grandmother's ashes, transforming it again. This prototyping had no effect on the enemies, since he was already in the medium, and the colonel had already hatched. Instead, only the sprite was affected, and it took the appearance, personality, and memories of his grandmother, becoming Nana Sprite, a game-supplied, albeit customized, guide for John. She explained aspects of the game about Skaya residing at the center of the medium, beyond seven gates floating directly above his house, and about an eternal, timeless war, fought there between dark and light, one that light was always destined to lose. Rose, who'd been having frequent internet connection issues, lost her connection as she tried to lift John's car to retrieve the game and the package. The car fell into the abyss below. A storm caused her house to lose power, along with its wireless internet connection. Her laptop was able to run on battery power for a time while she tapped into the wireless signal from the laboratory next door. When her laptop ran out of power, she had to overcome the more family strife and endure a gift pony in the process to go outside in the rain and plug it into a small generator outside the mausoleum of her dead cat, Jaspers. She continued her session with John inside the mausoleum, while the meteor-sparked forest fire surrounding her house grew more intense. From the house, Rose's mom opened a secret passage in the mausoleum to help her escape. The passage led to the lab next door, where Rose found a stable, portable source of power and internet for her computer. She also found a terminal projecting the impact of item the impact times and locations for the millions of meteors presently bombarding the planet, along with all the other live sessions of other players around the world. She also found a little girl's room, a mutant kitten na she named Vodka Mutini, and a cloning machine operating through the science of ectobiology. Its terminal was locked onto her cat Jasper's at whatever point in his life the user specified.
She attempted to purify Jaspers from a moment in her early childhood, before he whispered a secret to her. But doing so would have caused a paradox, so it purified, paradoxified, a pile of slime instead. The machine used the slime to create a fetal paradox clone of Jaspers in a glass tube. On the monitor, Jaspers then told young Rose the secret, then vanished, only to show up dead weeks later and put in the mausoleum for years until, until the present. Rose left the laboratory moments before it was destroyed by a meteor impact. She transportalized back to her mom's room, proceeded to her room to wait for Dave to connect with her, and rescue her from the next imminent impact. Dave was charged with acquiring his bro's copy of the game to help Rose. Earlier, he had lost his copy of the game to a mishap involving a crow. It flew in his window, seized the game, and Dave accidentally impaled it with a sword, sending the crow and the game out the window onto the landing far below his apartment. He searched his bro's room, unable to find it, was briefly shadowed by Lil Cal, and then found a note beckoning him to meet on the roof for a confrontation. Dave and his bro dueled on the roof extensively, and Dave was thoroughly bested. Upon defeating Dave, his bro dropped the copies of the game and flew off on his rocket board into the sky. Dave used the copies to connect with Rose and quickly deployed the devices while her house was on fire. Surrounded by flaming tornadoes and minutes away from being destroyed by a meteor, Rose prototyped her kernel sprite with Jaspers, specifically to understand the meaning of the secret he whispered to her years ago. She was advised to do this by Jade, who told her about the game in the first place. Dave then prototyped the Colonel Sprite again with a tentacled princess doll, given to Rose on her birthday by her mom. Both of these prototypes would have an effect on the enemies once Rose entered the medium, and the Colonel hatched. Rose used the alchemeter to create the special item for her, a purple wine bottle, which she needed to break to enter. She eventually did, transporting her house just before the meteor collided. The meteor left a crater. Over time, at the site of the impact, a large white structure, looked like a wine bottle, grew there, and the crater filled up with sand as the climate of the post-apocalyptic Earth gradually changed. The cork of that wine bottle was a large metal cylinder with an interior much like the advanced science station, much like an advanced science station, with a variety of devices and monitors inside. 413 years after the meteor impact, the wayward vagabond walked through the desert and discovered this station. Inside, he found a canned rations, a firefly he named Serenity, and a purifier, and four monitors hooked up to a keyboard. One of the monitors was John. On one of the monitors was John, just after he'd entered the medium. WV could type commands to John directly, much as the readers of this story could type commands for the characters to follow. Most of John's actions upon entering the medium were authored by WV, until he became preoccupied with other activities, such as building a town out of cans, playing chess with cans, and drawing chalk murals depicting the cosmological arrangement of Skya, the medium, the light and dark planets known as Prospet and Durs, and the four planets the kids would each occupy upon entering the game, called the Land of Wind and Shade, for John, the Land of Light and Rain, for Rose, the Land of Heat and Clockwork, for Dave, and Jade's planet, which is yet to be seen. He also activated a countdown in the station, which caused it to blast out of the crater and fly to designated home coordinates. Along the way, it passed over the sand-filled crater that was the impact site for John's meteor, on the other side of the continent. John's meteor had caused a giant white tree to grow from the crater. The tree grew an apple-like station from a branch, which fell to the sand. 
The Peregrine Mendicant found this station. After WV flew overhead, PM activated her station's homing features as well, which caused it to fly to the same destination. Along the way, she used her terminal to attempt to command Jade, who from the perspective of the terminal had just arrived in the medium. This caused the terminal to explode for unknown reasons, leaving a hole in, it, in the station. One of the station's robotic worms recovered one of PM's falling mailboxes and she befriended it, after earlier slaying another one with her black regisword. WV landed at the site of the ancient frog ruins across the now-dried-up Pacific Ocean. The site was once the island where Jade lived, but nothing on the island remained except for the ruins. The mountain her house was on, and the volcano next to it, were replaced by a large empty chasm. PM landed shortly after WV, and they met. They were confronted by the aimless renegade, who fired at them from the frog ruins with old weaponry he'd been hoarding, once belonging to Jade's grandpa. Millions of years ago, the frog ruins grew from a crater, struck by a meteor that emerged from a suburb portal in space. Jade's radioactive, omnipotent, space-warping dog named Becquerel emerged from this crater as well. Jade's grandpa pioneered this island and built the house Jade lives in. Her grandpa had been dead for many years and stands stuffed in front of the fireplace. She has been looked after by her dog, who she calls Beck. She begins the day with several tasks to accomplish, to feed Beck and to retrieve a birthday package mailed to John. She irradiates a stake and heads outside to the site where the package will be dropped. She knows it will be dropped there because one of the reminders she wears on her fingers jogs her memory about it. She wears them to keep track of the many things she knows about the future through dreams. She falls asleep frequently and spontaneously. When she sleeps, her dream self is awake and, peop and living on the moon that orbits the light planet Prospet. Prospet very closely orbits Skya, a huge sphere of blue sky and clouds, which Nena describes as a dormant crucible of unlimited creative potential. When Prospet's moon eclipses Skya, it drifts into Skya for a time, mingling with the clouds. Dream Jade then witnesses many past and future events in the clouds. While asleep, she is often confused about what is real and what isn't. When she wakes up, she pieces together future events from her memory of the cloud visions, and from logs recorded by her dreambot. Her dreambot is a robotic surrogate that activates while she sleeps in her bed. It mimics in the real world the movement and actions of her dream self on the moon, and records a video log of what she sees while dreaming. Prospect's moon has two towers of identical design, similar and similar design to Jade's house. Dream Jade lives in one tower, Dream John lives in another. Dream John is still asleep, and John has no knowledge of the dream world, which is to say the entire game session he would initiate on his 13th birthday. When he goes to sleep, instead of waking up on the moon as Jade does, he remains slumbering in his dream, home, in his dream room, tormented by his subconscious. This torment is expressed when he sleepwalks and draws troubling scribbles on the walls of his room. When awake, he cannot see the scribbles, as is subconsciously suppresses his awareness of them. Ooh, I found a typo. Whoa, uh, I found a typo in Homestuck. Holy shit. Uh, he cannot see the scribbles as is subconscious suppresses his awareness of them. That's supposed to be his. Can I write into Andrew Hussey about that one? Um, it is not until he has a per perception-altering re revelation about his dad does he begin to see them. He initially believed they were new additions to his room, perhaps scrawled by imps. 
however, they were present long before, visible in his room while he prepared Jade's birthday package months ago. John prepared a package for each of his three friends, whose 13th birthdays were December 1st for Jade, 3rd for Dave, and 4th for Rose. He gave Rose a knitting set, and she then took an intense interest in knitting. There's another typo, oh my god. An intense interest knitting. He gave Dave the pair of shades Ben Stiller wore in Starsky and Hutch, which he wore from then on, replacing the shades in the style his bro wore. He gave Jade a blue version of his own ghost shirt, and some pumpkin seeds to help her replace the pumpkins that kept disappearing from her garden. But she did not receive this on the birthday John intended. She received it in the past, on her birthday when she was very young, causing her to take an interest in gardening in the first place, to take a liking to blue apparel, and to eventually befriend John over the internet and lead him, Rose, and Dave down a path where they would ultimately play this game together. Jade did retrieve his package in the present as planned, but immediately took it to another location where it disappeared. WV in the future purified it from that location on accident. The package contained further instructions for him. He was to bring it to PM, and she was to use her station's sendificator to send it to another place in time. After she did this, the package appeared in front of young Jade on her birthday. Jade orchestrated the sequence of events through knowledge of them by her cloud visions. She orchestrated similar events for the package she sent to John, plotting the circuitous route through time and space it was meant to follow. She again utilized the Exiles for help. While they were still in the medium, the Exiles WV, PM, and AR were all formerly agents of the Kingdoms, before they were exiled by some means to post-apocalyptic Earth. AR, as an authority regulator in the Land of Wind and Shade, discovered the package and the beta copy in John's wrecked car as he gave it a parking ticket. PM, working as a parcel mistress, recognized the package from a correspondence she had had with Jade on Prospect some time ago, and recalled it must be delivered to John. AR would not relinquish the package, though he did give her the beta, which she delivered into, into a pixis to satisfy the carving request of a mini-tablet. John carved this tablet at the request of PM through the command terminal in the future. AR brought the package to Durse, where it ultimately wound up on the desk of Jack Noir. Jack is the Archagent of the Dark Kingdom, charged with overseeing affairs through his office's fenestrated wall portals and processing paperwork. He is forced to wear a silly garment in keeping with prototyping themes by the Black Queen, an order he resentfully complies with. He oversaw the imprisonment of John, da- John Stad, who broke loose on multiple occasions. When Jack went to handle it personally, John Stad set Jack's hat on fire. In a surly act of gratitude, he released the prisoner. John Stad fled to the land of wind and shade, fought large monsters, got his hat dirty, and lost a shoe. He then carved tablet requests for new ones, which John filled via Pixis, unaware of who requested them. PM followed AR to Durse in hopes of retrieving the package. After wandering around, she encountered the Black Queen on her throne. Both the Light and Dark Kingdoms each have a king and queen. The queen sits on a throne on Prospect and Durst, respectively, ruling the planet. The kings command armies on the battlefield, located at the center of Skya. The queen takes on the attributes supplied by the prototypings due to the four-orbed ring she wears. When the ring is removed, the queen is restored to normal. PM showed the BQ, a parking ticket she was pretending to deliver. 
the BQ directed her to Jack's office where the ticket should be filed. PM met Jack and asked for the package. Jack proposed a deal and gave her a black regisword. If she would kill the White Queen and White King and bring him their crowns, he would give her the package. She accepted with little alternative. She then visited the WQ on Prospect and explained the situation, with no intention of carrying out Jack's mission. The WQ, understanding the futility of their situation and the need to recover the package, abdicated, giving PM her crown and her ring. PM was instructed to go find the White King, retrieve his crown, and receive further instruction on what to do with the ring to protect it. WQ would then eventually exile herself to post-apocalyptic Earth. On poke on yeah, <clears throat> it's time for some water. We're about halfway done, or two fifths done. And that's okay. Twenty minutes. Wow. Okay. On post-apocalypse Earth, after AR fired on WV and PM from the ruins, he spotted WV's pumpkin which W.V. had earlier purified from Jade's house. He recognized the carving of Beck's silhouette on the pumpkin. Fearful of it, he surrendered. The three exiles soon became friends over a campfire share and shared rations. W.V. and A.R. built Exile Town out of cans, mailboxes, and bullets. P.M. operated W.V.'s station terminal to submit commands to John as he explored the land of wind and shade. In the sky, another station teleported and fell to the ground. It was shaped like an egg and originated, and originated from Dave's meteor impact site, in correspondence with the egg-shaped item he would use to enter the medium. Emerging from this station was the windswept questant, formerly the White Queen. AR and WV sought to impress WQ by crafting a crown for her out of a mailbox. She refused the distinction, instead giving it to PM, who had successfully completed her mission to deliver Jade's package to John in the distant past. The means by which she went about this have yet to be seen. John entered the land of wind and shade, Lois, by having Rose build up his house to the first gate, fighting through many imps and ogres with his powerful new alchemized weapons, and entering the gate. This took him to a location beneath the clouds, far below his house. The Lois turned out to be a large, windy planet, full of dark terrain, incandescent trees, networks of pipes, and oily rivers. In addition to hosting more powerful adversaries, the land is occupied by friendly consorts, a race of salamanders. They helped John understand the mythos of the land and informed him of the planet's persecution by a sleeping denizen, who is responsible for clogging the pipes with oil and trapping fireflies under the clouds. Each planet has a sleeping denizen, which the players must first wake and then kill in the course of their journey through the Seven Gates. Rose's planet, the land of light and rain, Lolar, is a multicolored ocean planet with white sandy islands and pink ruins, and has a denizen responsible for killing all life in the water. Dave's planet, the land of heat and clockwork, Lohak, is a lava planet covered in industrial steel frame structures and turning gears, and has a denizen of yet unknown qualities. Killing the denizen releases a huge grist horde buried at the core of the planet, which is then used to fuel a process known as the ultimate alchemy. Along the way, the kids are meant to learn about their destined roles on this quest as the Heir of Breath, John, the Seer of Light, Rose, the Knight of Time, Dave, and the Witch of Space, Jade. Over the course of their quest, the Dark Kingdom will inevitably defeat the Light Kingdom. The Black Queen and King will take control and initiate the Reckoning. This affects a belt of meteors called the Veil, which orbits far from Skya between the four planets and Durs. 
and is host to various lab facilities used by the kingdoms. The reckoning causes the meteors to descend on Skaya, ultimately destroying it, unless the Black Queen and King can be defeated in time. Skaya, however, buys time by opening defense portals to catch many of the meteors, redirecting them elsewhere in space and time. This is the generic template for the way the game is supposed to proceed. It can deviate from this model, however, depending on the actions of other players, of the players, and the details of the game mythology presented is unique to each group of players and their session. Whew. Long before John and his friends started playing the game, another group of players had been persistently trolling them, particularly Jade. They are furious about an action she will take that will cause major problems in the four kids' game session, and inevitably lead to their defeat. Specifically, Jade will send a package to John, apparently containing a powerful weapon he will need later, but the package winds up in the hands of Jack Noir, leading to dire consequences. They allude to other things she will do that will lead to not only trouble for the four kids, but the troll players as well. The trolls consist of 12 kids from an alien planet, who went through the same process as John and his friends, escaping from the annihilation of their planet via meteors and into the medium to play their game. Their game session is entirely separate from that of the four kids. It has the same basic template, with its own Skya, Prospect, Durst, Fail, and a planet for each troll, but separate game instances of these. They also have different instances of the same character templates, such as the kings and queens and agents like Jack Noir. The trolls have completed their game session with yet unknown results. They now reside on a meteor in the Vale, sitting at terminals trolling John and Co. From their terminals, they can choose any point in the past or future of the kids to control, and observe what they're doing at that moment. As a group, their only stated objective is to harass the kids, which they do so haphazardly throughout different points in the kids' timeline. Though they can choose any point on the kids' timeline to talk, they are mostly resigned to the understanding that no matter what they do, they can't change the outcome of the kids' actions. The four most vociferous trolls so far have been Carcinogeneticist, Gallows Calibrator, Grim Auxiliatrix, and Adios Toreador, the other eight being Apocalypse Arisen, Twin Armageddons, Arsenic Catnip, Arachnid's Grip, Centaur's Testicle, Terminally Capricious, Caligula's Aquarium, and Cuttlefish Color, each yet to be heard from. I did not know any of those except Twin Armageddons. So there you go. Uh, Carcinogeneticist CG appears to have spearheaded the group's trolling campaign. While he was in the thick of his game session, the exile commanded him from a terminal in the apocalyptic future was Spade Slick. This was this is one difference between his game session and John's, who had WV as an exile commanding him. In CG's session, his version of Jack Noir became exiled along the way and took the name Spade Slick. Three other agents were exiled, and the four of them formed a gang called the Midnight Crew, and spent years building up a dark city in the future wasteland of the Trolls' dead planet. Another difference in the Trolls' session is that they, at some point along the way, the Black Queen was also exiled, later joined a rival gang called the Felt, assumed special powers that made her highly inadvisable to kill, and came to be known as Snowman. It was not until Slick confronted the Felt in their mansion that he discovered the station terminal to command CG, uh, CG, and not before a snowman blinded him in one eye, severed his arm, and locked him in a vault. Each troll has a different trolling strategy, 
and a different rhythm by which they hop around the kids' timelines to chat with them. CG's strategy, for the most part, was to begin trolling them at the very end of the adventure, the moment at which he was most angry with their actions, and then gradually work backwards, mostly talking to John. This proves to be mutually frustrating, though, as John knows less and less about the situation the further in the past CG goes. Similarly, the further in the future John progresses, the more he has the advantage over CG by knowledge of his future conversations with him, and vice versa. Over the course of the, op- of the opposing directions of the two sides of the conversation, John learns more about the nature of the game and why they're being trolled, and in spite of hostility, they gradually befriend each other, though an inevitability alluded to on both sides of the conversation. Through, sorry, not though. Um, early in the correspondence between John and CG, which is to say late for CG, CG discovers he needs to get in touch with Jade, who refuses to talk to him in that time period. So he delivers a message to her much earlier, months in the past, telling her she needs to contact him when she's in trouble. She will know what to do when this, when her dream bot. She will know to do this when her dream bot explodes in the future, an outcome that has not yet happened. Two other trolls, Grim Auxiliatrix and Adios Toreador, GA and AT, have targeted only Rose and Dave thus far. GA has hopped arbitrarily back and forward in Rose's timeline to talk to her, and is attempting to cultivate a friendship with her that now seems rigged through a series of con- conversational time loops. While seeking counsel from Dave on how to befriend her, AT sought counsel from Rose on how to troll Dave more effectively. After getting severely counter-trolled by him, he is under the impression he rebounded nicely, though. Gallo's calibrator has stayed mostly linear in her trolling patterns, and has done so under the guise of helping the kids on their quest. She convinces John to take a shortcut through his land, shows him the denizen's palace, leads him to a warp back to his house, then shows him how to fix the faulty rocket pack he made earlier through an alchemy mishap. She tells him to use the rocket pack to fly up to the seventh gate, enter the denizen's palace, and kill it in its sleep. He complied with this and flew through the servant seventh gate, in spite of reservations from J- Dave, who had just entered the medium the moment before John took off. <sighs> GC also assisted Rose. Just after she bested an ogre with ease, she counseled her on understanding her role as the seer of light and the meaning of the voice in her head as an exile issuing commands from a terminal. In her case, it was the exiled White Queen issuing commands from the egg-shaped station in the future. Since Dave is Rose's server player, the terminal station from Dave's impact site issues commands to Rose, just as the station at Rose's site, which WV found, issues commands to John, her client player. After conversing with GA, Rose found Jasper Sprite and Jasper's Sprite and interrogated him about the secret which she found so maddeningly mysterious years ago. He explained elements of the mythos of her land and how she'd need to learn to play the rain to produce the the musical analog of a genetic code to reintroduce life into the ocean. In response to her question about his secret, he simply replied, Meow. She mistook this for more nonsense, but it was in fact the secret he told her years ago. The four-letter sequence, Meow, unlocked a genetic code in her subconscious which she would spend years scrawling on her wall, using those letters in place of the typically used GCAT letters, while completely oblivious to the scrawlings and their meaning, just as John was. As Jasper said, she would understand their meaning when her dream self wakes up. Rose's dream self lives in a tower on the moon of Durs, 
Dave's dream self lives on the same moon in the other tower. It was suggested by Rose's future self, who was fully awake in the tower, that Dave has already been awake in his tower all along without realizing it. This was suggested in a conversation she had in the future with Dave. It was an alternate future timeline not meant to be. This future timeline came about by this series of events. Dave was able to enter the medium by connecting with Jade as a server player. Jade got copies of the game from the Frog Ruins after she delivered John's package to her past self. She snuck into the ruins while Beck was asleep, and retrieved the game from a Lotus time capsule which had been taken down for millions of years. The game was Dave's copy from the future, the same one that fell out the window with the Impaled Crow. Once she got the game, the time capsule started ticking down again, set to expire 413 years later, when the Exiles are there. She drops some items in the ruins, leaving them for AR to find, and leaving her base jammed in the elevator. Beck then found her there, took her back to her room, and grounded her there for the rest of the evening. She quickly helped Dave set up the game, upgrading his alchemeter heavily, and crafting the special item he needed to enter the medium, a red egg, which needed to be incubated and hatched to activate. She prototyped his Colonel Sprite, with the Impaled Crow, which would affect the enemies later, including the Black Queen. The Sprite built a nest on top of his apartment's antenna tower and stole the egg to incubate it. For hours, a very large meteor was soon bearing down on his city. Dave, was, Dave then entered the medium through a series of unseen events. Jade was asleep, thus forbidden by Dave from interacting with his environment at all. Jade complied for fear of retribution. Dave was faced with the Crow Sprite which appeared to be su suggesting he prototype it again with the remains of Lil Cal. John consulted with John, Dave consulted with John on this, who was about to rock it up through the seventh gate. John had no advice and proceeded up through the gate against better judgment. Dave prototyped the sprite with Cal, John entered the palace, presumably found the denizen, and was easily killed by it, as was the intent of GC's trick on him. This meant John could not establish a connection with Jade to rescue her from the looming meteor, and Dave and Rose lost contact with her, presuming her dead. Dave and Rose then spent the next four months in the medium, advancing as far as they could to collect information before Dave decided to travel back in time to change events. Dave used his timetables to go back to the moment he was about to prototype with Cal. Both he and his past self strongly urged John not to go through the gate. John was reluctant at first, but soon reconsidered and flew down beneath the clouds. Future Dave then gave present Dave all of his advanced gear and prototyped the Crow Sprite with himself to make Dave Sprite, thus serving as his own guide from the future. Before going back in time, Future Dave convinced Future Rose to go to sleep. He suggested her dream self would be unaltered by the timeline shift, and in her dream state she would remember the events from the future. When Dave went back, Rose's future Rose dream self assumed the position of Rose's present dream self. Rose fell asleep and on Durst's moon, she instantly woke up. She then saw all the genetic scrawlings she did in meow letters and understood their meaning. Meanwhile, on Durst below, the Black Queen again insisted that Jack Noir abide by the dress code. He refused, and the Queen threatened him. He picked up Jade's package to John, removed what was inside, and used it to slice her ring finger off. He then killed the Black Queen, put on the ring, and donned the full upgrade supplied by the three prototypings. He then became Jaxper's Noir Le Crow, which is name I just made up now. That's how see saying that. Uh, and then after that, you started watching me type this in this ridiculous study that I photoshopped for myself with my cool horse painting propped up in the background. Um, <laughs> uh, there you go.
Um, hopefully that helped someone out there. Um, I'm going to drink four glasses of water now. If you'd like to send us a question, you can do so at hamsteakpodcast.tumblr.com or on Twitter at hamsteakpodcast. Uh, you can find me at uh, crunchleaf on Twitter and uh, at leafcrunch.tumblr.com. You can also find Lydia as brickchip on both platforms. Um, next week, we are going to be reading pages... Uh, 3,700 through 3,833. Um, and we are currently... Oh, no, uh, never mind. Um, and thanks for listening to this weird episode, if you did. Um, sorry for all the, like, the mouth sounds and, like, drinking sounds and stuff, um, but I'm not going to go in there and edit those out. Um... So I'm sorry if this was more ASMR than usual. I think I don't. I'm not. It might be AS, ASMR like. Um. B- bye. <laughs>